A lady told me that one time. She was praying in the altar for the Holy Ghost. You know, you better sit down because I feel a meddling something on me right now. Yeah, you don't understand that word. You know, if you're going to get anything from God, you got to get emotional about it. I lost about three-fourths of you. you, you, you got to get emotional about it. God's not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of hunger. And I promise you, if you get hungry enough for something, you'll push people out of the way to get there. And this lady was praying for the Holy Ghost. I'm going to help some of you tonight for your miracle. Because I watched some of you come to the front last night, and it's almost like you're begging God. Where did you come up with begging God? It's not even biblical to beg God. And Calvary's already paid the price for everything you need. And, and, but anyway, this lady, she's in the front, and she was just standing there real nonchalant, just kind of real easy, you know, just, and, and she was saying, Jesus. She wasn't even saying Jesus. She said, Jesus. And I stopped her. I said, ma'am, you, you, you're going to have to. If you want something from God. Now, see, I got Bible on some of you. See, some of you don't really agree with this point, but I got Bible. You know, I could show you a lot of people in the New Testament that got something from God against opposition. Against culture. Gender. A lot of things in there. And the only way, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little sermon I used to preach when I was an evangelist. I used to preach on how to get from here to there. And I tell all these Bible stories, and I end up just saying, here's how you get from here to there. you got to want to be there more than here. And as long as you're content to be where you're at, you're never going to get out of it. But when you get desperate enough, you don't care what you got. You'll tear a roof off a place to get to it. You'll press through a crowd of people, not even say, excuse me, to touch the hem of his garment. Oh, yeah, you will. I told you last night, you can have all kinds of devils working around you and still follow his feet and worship him. It all depends on what you want from God. Now, if you're not that hungry, you're not going to get anything from God. But if you get desperate enough and hungry enough for something, you don't care who's sitting next to you. You don't even really care who's preaching. You don't care what the choir is saying. You need something from God and you need a miracle. Now, I know everybody, well, if I need it, God, God knows I need it. He'll come by here. Really? Well, let me help you out with that. I'm preaching right now. You just don't know it. Let me help you out with that one. They're in a storm, and the boat's rocking, and the Bible says Jesus was walking right by them. He wasn't even going to stop. And he wouldn't have stopped unless they cried out to him. You think God doesn't know the whole world's needs? So what separates people that get something from God to people that don't? People get desperate. 
They go looking for God. They go after God. They say, I'm going to get something. And I'm going to tell you, when you get like that in a church service or in prayer, you, number one, you become dangerous. Don't, and listen, if you want an easy service, don't sit next to somebody that's hungry for a miracle because I'm telling you, they'll get on your toes to get to it. And while you're sitting there trying to be all polite with Jesus, man, I mean, they done wrinkled your suit. Some of you don't know if you want to say amen or... I'm trying to help some of you. You think is this going to come float now, the sky? I stopped one time and I told a man he was bound by nicotine. He couldn't quit smoking and I stopped. And now he didn't know I knew and he was trying to hide it from everybody. And I stopped and I told him, I said, sir, if you'll get out in the aisle and just dance and rejoice, God will set you free. And you know what he told me? Only time I dance is in the spirit. <laughs> I said, I'd like to see that. You mean to tell me, I'm, I'm, I'm messing with some of you right now so bad. You mean to tell me that you leave your body and get in the spirit and dance? Or how's this one? That God himself is going to pick your feet up and put them down for you. Oh, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, 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 I need to get off this right now, but I'm watching some of you. I didn't fly 7,000 miles for some of you sitting look at me like that. I'm used to preaching to hungry people, people that need something from God. I'm going to help you. I'm fixing to help all the theologians in the building. Let them praise his name with the timbrel and the dance. Somebody tell me the first time you ever see them praising God with the timbrel and the dance. Anybody know? Sir? No, not the Salvation Army. <laughs> I know what you mean. No, sir. I, 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 I'm not laughing. Miriam. Miriam. Anybody know what just happened? Across the Red Sea. They crossed the Red Sea. You know what the Apostle Paul said the Red Sea was? Water baptism. They'd been baptized. And the only way to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And when they come out on the other side of baptism, the Bible says they got some tambourines and went to playing and went to dancing. That's the first time that you ever really see praise him in the temple and the dance. And there's a reason why. Praise his name. So I told you last night when Lucifer fell, I'm trying to help some of you have a good time here tonight. When Lucifer fell, he took something with him. And he knew enough about humanity to know, hey, listen, as long as I can keep them in sin, they have no right to worship or to praise God like that. Because I know what God won't put up with. He kicked me out of heaven over it. See, some of you want to praise his name in the dance, but you still got sin in your life. 
don't work. It's the reason why a lot of people have no victory because they got sin. That's the reason why some of you can't rejoice. Now, don't take any offense by what I'm about to say. That's the reason why a lot of songs anymore have no victory in them. Because people that are living in sin are writing them. They're looking for something. They're searching for something. They're singing out of a guilty heart. Testing one, two. But ever so often, somebody needs to sing about victory or testify about victory. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Let me tell you about the Red Sea. Let me tell you about the night the preacher put me down in the name of Jesus Christ. And I come up on the other side victorious over death and sin. <laughs> so, here's the deal. You ready for it? Really, the only reason why you need to get out in the aisle and dance is not waiting on the Holy Ghost to pick your feet up. You just need to remember you've been baptized in Jesus' name. And you need to remember the blood and what it did to your sin. And you need to remember the power of the name of Jesus that they just sang about. Because when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out. I wish somebody had a little soul cry here tonight. My soul cries out. Hallelujah. Woo. Well, it's starting to feel a little better in here right now. Man, you people are crazy. No, we're not. We're just forgiven. We're just as sane as everybody else in the world, probably a little more. We've been forgiven. I'll just tell you this. If you could look at the wrath of God being poured out on the man Christ Jesus on the cross, and that don't move you to celebrate, then something's wrong. Well, that was sermon number one. My wife begged me, please don't preach a long time tonight. Please. <laughs> so I'm going to try to. Let's, let's look at a verse of scripture here. You want to look at a verse of scripture here? Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And verse number 40. Are you guys ready for some preaching? I've, I've been preaching already. You ready for a little more preaching? Some of you still waiting on the Holy Ghost to knock you out of that pew. I don't think it's going to happen. Could, but I don't think it is. He's just waiting on you with a little bit of faith. Verse 40, and he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. When he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, everybody say, thy day the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. 
For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee around and keep thee and on every side. Shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of preachers in Pentecost, and there's a lot of good preachers, and you could have got a lot of them. And I'm not here tonight to preach you a sermon. I didn't come to preach you a sermon. I come to talk to you in the Holy Ghost about what God wants to do and is attempting to do. Is that fair enough? I sent a text out early this morning for we got a group of pastors and ministers. We call it an impact team. Brother Dathan's on it, and they went into prayer. Little did they know, one of these men, they were having a prayer meeting, not, not connected to this, but they were having a prayer meeting in the church. And one of his prayer warriors come up to him and said, I want to tell you something the Lord showed me. And... Uh, pertains to this service, it pertains to what I preached last night, what I'm going to preach tonight. In a little bit, I'll tell you what she's seen. I want to tell you, you're not going to survive in the end time playing church. Because the end time is designed by God to separate. Are you listening to me? If you can't walk with the footman, you'll never be able to run with the horseman. And we need to realize exactly where we're at prophetically. Now, first of all, I give honor tonight to Bishop Slack. Amen. God bless him. Amen. And to your superintendent of Australia, Brother Sister Downs, we honor them tonight. We're glad to be in service with them. To the Bishop of Fiji, I am so sorry about last year. Please forgive me. I'm going to tell you a story. Everybody just chill. I know, I know what I'm doing here. Everybody, it's going to be all right. I had a computer that crashed. Actually, my wife and I were on a flight, and a flight attendant handed me a Diet Coke for my wife, trying to hand it to her, and I was just, nah, I'll take it. And when I took it in my hand, I turned, and I hit the seat in front of me, and that Diet Coke splashed on my laptop. Trust me, it's not a good combination. And it, it fried my laptop. So I went down to Apple, Hope that doesn't offend anybody. <clears throat> Most of us are apostolics. You just don't know it. <laughs> I got a new one. And they told me, so we're going to have to take your hard drive. And when they got in there, they said, sir, we found some emails and an account over here that you haven't even opened. And I said, really? Yeah. 
and I got to look it in there, and I don't know what in the world, but all the emails I thought I sent you, they didn't get to you. <laughs> They're over there in that whatever it was, so I am publicly apologizing right now. I'm begging you for forgiveness here tonight. Amen. Now, uh, you know, let me, let me talk to you a little, some history. Everybody good? Amen. You know, you, you're good people. I like Australians. I really do. Y'all are good people. Uh, yeah, it, it, I like it here. It's a beautiful place. People aren't quite as crazy as they are in California here. Especially San Francisco. We got some weird people in San Francisco. Dope smokers. They love San Francisco. <laughs> the Jews, in the times of Christ, they all basically believed that the Messiah was coming. Matter of fact, when they would gather together in the synagogues, and that's the problem is a lot of people want to have a service that fits the synagogue and not the temple. Because in the synagogue, you can only talk about him. The temple's a different story. But they'd gather together and they'd read, especially one of the most favorite and famous places to read was from Isaiah chapter 35 talked about when the Messiah would come and what all would happen when he would come. And it's a, it's a beautiful description. It gave, it gave them tremendous hope. But with the fact is when they gathered together, they'd read this and they would talk about the visitation. The visitation was a very popular subject. The Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming. Oh, when Messiah comes... And if you'll read down through there, just listen to the words of it. When Messiah comes, the lame will walk, the blind will see, the dumb will hear and speak. And on and on it goes. When Messiah comes, the desert shall spring forth. When Messiah comes, and it was always when Messiah comes, when Messiah comes, when Messiah comes. But there's a, there's a verse in the scripture that's pretty sad. It's this. And he came... Unto his own. And his own received him not. Now what I'm about to say, and I, I ask for uh, a little leeway here to let me explain this. If you think just because you're one God that God owes you something, you might ought to look at the Jews. Sometimes we think because we have our doctrine correct that God owes us something. And there's nobody here that believes in doctrine any stronger than I do. But the fact is, you can have doctrine but not have faith. And that's exactly where the Jews had found themselves, especially the Pharisees and the religious sect of that time. They had all the doctrine. Even Jesus said, man, you guys got it down. And you even tithe off of spices. And this ought you to do. But you've left off some weightier matters of the law. 
And the fact is, you can find yourself doctrinally correct, but spiritually wrong. And this was the predicament of the Jews. Now, when Jesus came, there were two divisions of thought among the Jews. I told you last night what got Simon Peter in trouble was is his perception about how the Messiah was supposed to come. Now, I feel a strong anointing here tonight. How the Messiah was supposed to come. They all believed that the Messiah was coming. As a matter of fact, they really wanted him to come because... The fact is Rome had insulted them so bad. Every time in the streets of Jerusalem there was the column of Roman soldiers going by. It was a slap in the face of those Jews because all they could remember was their history. And all they could talk about was is when David our father was king and when Solomon built that original temple. And it was all their history and the fact that they had been at one time a very strong nation. And that David had driven their enemies into the sea and all this stuff. And that they were, it was a, they were a powerhouse. And so this is what they remembered and this was their history. And so now here they are under the bondage of Rome in the times of Christ. Under the bondage of Rome. But in the midst of the Jews there's two thoughts about how the Messiah was to come. You have the Pharisees and you have the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe anything supernatural. They thought everything would come through the natural, that Jesus or the Messiah would just come. He'd be a great military strategist. He would raise up an army. He'd push Rome back into the sea, and that he'd be a man born just like any other man. This is their concept about how the Messiah would come. The Pharisees was the spiritual side of it, in spite of their legalism, they were the spiritual side of it. They believed that when the Messiah would come, that he would come with uh, supernatural events. And so while they are debating back and forth as to how the Messiah was supposed to come, while they're arguing about how the Messiah was supposed to come, down on the banks of Jordan was a wild man by the name of John. And he was dressed not in the most... Uh, he definitely didn't fit in his culture. John was not ever going to appear in any GQ magazine, I can promise you that. Amen. And John steps out on the banks of Jordan and proclaims. He proclaimed in the midst of all the factions. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He pointed him out. Now, even John had a little trouble later on about who Jesus was. Now, they're first cousins, and he had a little trouble, and we all have trouble at times in spite of what you think, but you have to learn not to be offended in God. Because John thought when he said, I'll in decrease and he'll increase, he thought that just meant in position. Even John had perceived the coming of the Messiah with a little twist. They thought they had it all figured out how this Messiah was going to come. And so John's over here in prison now, and it's not quite working the way he thought it was going to work. And he sends a message to Jesus, and he says, are you he or do we look for another? Now, wait a minute, John, on the banks of Jordan, you're pretty bold, the Lamb of God. And now you're not quite sure. And Jesus sent word back from Isaiah 35. 
You tell John, the lame walk, the dumb talk, the blind see. And I'm going to add a little something to it. And blessed is he that's not offended in me. One translation says, you go tell John to let me run my business the way I want to run it. And I'm going to tell you, I want you to listen to me. You will, I'm going to help somebody here right now in the Holy Ghost. You will get offended in the things of God if you don't let God run his business the way he wants to run it. And we all have preconceived ideas about ministry. We have preconceived ideas about revival. We have preconceived ideas about how God's supposed to run his kingdom. But I'm going to remind you, and I have to remind myself every once in a while, I'm going to run my business the way that I want to run it. I'm not calling for a council and asking you people if it's okay if I run my business this way. I've got a master plan for the end time. I've got a master plan for the kingdom of God, and it's going to be fulfilled with you or without you. It's going to be fulfilled. So I suggest that you just kind of clear your head and allow the Holy Ghost to do what it wants to do because after all, if I read the book correct, he's in charge of the church, and he said upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. You're not building the church. He's building the church. He's got the blueprints. He's got the resources. He's got everything he needs, and he's building his church. Woo, hallelujah. I said he's building his church. Now, now, they're arguing back and forth how he's supposed to come. The fact is he walked right through their midst. They never even seen it. Actually, they're trying to trap him. The very thing. Did you know? Now, this is a little something to just think about. People say, and I've read this, that the Sanhedrin actually derived from Moses' elders of counsel and the elders that he had to counsel and help people. What started out as something good and useful ended up being the very thing that crucified Jesus. Hmm. When it comes to some things, we all think God's got to use this. God's got to use this. God's got to use this method. God's got to use this. Now listen to me. But the fact is, the only thing that God has chosen to use, are you ready for this, is if I could say it like this, is bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Now, now, oh boy, there's been a few times that I haven't understood what God was doing. I'm going to help some of you here tonight. Is that all right? Normally, I talk about this in the minister's session, but I feel sad here. When it comes to being used of God in ministry, let me help you with this. This is the way I view ministry. I'm nothing but a chess piece on a chess board. I cannot move myself. I have to have the finger of the master player push the direction he wants it to go in. I want you to listen. I've heard people say, I'm never going to make a lateral move. 
not ever going to move sideways or backwards. I'm always going to move forward. My ministry, my life, my business is always going to move forward. Well, when it comes to God, not ever move us forward. Some are lateral sideways, some are backwards. Yeah, that's true. Now, see, you think, I don't know why I'm on this, you think you've got the moves all figured out. You think you know how God's supposed to be doing all this. No. If that's the case, that'd make you God. God always withholds a portion and a part from you. That's why the Bible says that prophecy is in part. Because God always holds a little something back over here. He don't show you the whole picture. Never has and never will. Let me tell you why a lot of it. Because if he showed you the whole picture, he'd have to show you all the suffering that you were going to have to go through in order to get to where he needed you to go. And if you seen what you was going to have to suffer, you'd back completely out of the picture and say, I don't want it. I feel like preaching a little bit tonight. Are you listening to me? And now you're not going to like this next one I'm about to tell you. On a chessboard, there's even another move. He can sacrifice you for a bigger move. And if you don't believe it, resurrect John the Baptist and ask him. Woo. Man, I feel... Mm. So they're arguing back and forth how he's supposed to come. And here he come. Pastor, here he come. He come right down through there. He missed and they, they missed it. And then he's coming into Jerusalem. And he stops and he views the city. And he starts weeping over Jerusalem. And he makes these statements. Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. If you really would have known the things that I had prepared for thy peace, I wanted to bring peace to you. You're a city of turmoil. But I had prepared peace for you. After all, I'm the Prince of Peace. And I wanted to bring peace to you. But the problem is, you didn't know the time of your visitation. Now, you preached it and you talked about it, but you didn't know its time. It was a popular subject every time you got together, but you didn't know the time of it. The time is now. This in thy day is his statement, meaning this is your day. Today is your day. Your Messiah's coming into your city. Your Messiah's coming into your city. This is your day. And I wanted to bring peace to you. But you're missing your visitation. And because you're missing it, it's not peace that I'm going to bring to you. But it's a sword that's going to visit you. And oh, by the way, if you tell these to stop and hold their peace, even the rocks are going to cry out. Now let me help you with that. 
He wasn't talking about rocks laying there on the dirt or whatever. He was talking about the Gentiles. If you Jews miss this, that's fine. I got another group of people coming on that's going to praise me. So if you don't want to praise me or see this, there's some more folks coming. And can I tell some of you here tonight, you don't have to praise God. You don't have to get excited about this. But trust me, if you don't, somebody else will. I'm going to show it to you. I'm not just talking off the top of my head here tonight. I'm going to show you it in the Bible. He said, I'm not going to leave. Watch him now. He starts out with stones. These stones are going to cry out. Then when he gets into a little later on, he said, I'm not going to leave one stone upon another. Now, he's not just talking about the walls of that city, but he's pointing past the walls of the city to the temple. You see that temple you pride yourself in over there? I'm not going to leave one stone on it. I'm going to lay it flat. Because you didn't know the time of your visitation. You talked about it. You preached about it. You sang about it. But you didn't prepare for your visitation. You were not ready. I have a word for this conference. You were not ready for your visitation. And he comes into the city and he picks his way. Now he's wept over the city and he picks his way through the streets of the city and the Bible says he found himself at the temple. And when he went into the temple, he makes a bold proclamation. You people have turned this into nothing but a place of merchandise. It's all about the money you make. Did you know that those priests would take those animals and they would sell them for an inflated price? I want you to listen to me. Because if some of you aren't careful, money is going to be your God. Even in the church, money can become your God. I want you to listen. The money changers, it got to where you have to have a temple currency. So you got an exchange. Well, guess what? We inflate it. We make a lot of money exchanging money. Plus, historians tell us that they'd only sell these animals. You have to buy an animal now here in the temple. And that they'd sell these animals at an inflated price. So they just made money with the money exchange. And now they've got these animals coming out. They're selling them for an inflated price. And historians tell us they didn't really kill the animals. They'd just take them back there and make it look like they killed them. And they'd bring them right back out through a secret chamber and bring them right back and sell them over and over and over and over and over again. And these people were making money in the church and that's all they've seen and that's how they've seen the church folks I'm telling you I feel the Holy Ghost that's how they see it. It's a place of merchandise. And Jesus walked in. He said, I got news for you. It was never intended for my house to be a place of merchandise. You listening? He said, but it's known of all nations that my house, he called it his house, that my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question in the Holy Ghost. 
What chance does your city have of knowing its visitation when the church is not praying? More than being known for a place of good music or good preaching or good marketing or good lighting or good counseling or good family values. Are you listening to me? And all that's good in its place. But more than all of that, the church ought to really be known as a place of prayer. When people walk into the building, they ought to be able to sense that holy aura of prayer. Come on, somebody. Why is that such a foreign thing to us anymore? I can promise you, traveling across the world, 80 to 90% of born-again Christians do not pray. They learn to write on somebody else's prayer life. They learn how to come to church and tap into somebody else's prayer life. They learn how to come get a quick fix in the church service. They learn how to come and just get pumped up a little bit but there is no daily fellowship with God. I want to preach tonight in the Holy Ghost. I'm asking you, what chance does the city have in knowing their visitation when the church is not a house of prayer? Now, I'm not here to be mean, but I'm going to ask you guys a question. What hope does Australia have if the people of God are not praying. We're fooling ourselves. It was prophesied over a hundred years ago that in the end time that the people of God would praise a God they didn't pray to. How in the world do you think you can operate your day? I'm going to ask you a question. The Bible says everything that God makes, he makes by wisdom. Anything that God builds, he builds by wisdom. And this is the day that the Lord has made. And God made your day by his wisdom. Are you listening to me? Now, if you're not operating in his wisdom, then you're operating in natural wisdom. And it's natural wisdom that crucified him, according to Paul. If they would have known but because they were operating in earthly wisdom, they crucified the king of glory. And I'm going to ask us a question, including myself. How many days in your life have you crucified something that God intended for you not to crucify? Something he's trying to build, something he was trying to do. And because you were going by your wisdom and you didn't think it was important enough fellowship with God and to seek the plan of God and the blueprint for that day. But that's the reason why the wise man said in concern to wisdom, early will I seek her. How many of you started your day today early by seeking the wisdom of God? Help me today, God, to build this day by your blueprint. You made this day and your wisdom will give me the blueprint and it will cause me to be spiritually prepared for the visitation. When the high priest comes to his temple, I want this temple to be prepared for his visitation. Ah, oh, gee, I got to hurry. 
Now let's just swap the words. You want to swap the words? You ready? Let's take out the word Messiah and let's put in the word revival. Let's all gather together, not in our synagogues, but let's gather at our conferences and let's gather in our churches and let's gather in our meetings and let's have the same vocabulary the Jews had. When revival comes, the lame will walk and the dumb will talk and the blind will see. Oh, no, 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 listen to me. I've been at this a long time and we all come together and we won't talk about revival and we won't talk about that visitation and we preach about it and we sing about it. But I'm asking us an honest question tonight. We've even got two divisions of thought about how revival's supposed to come. We got Pharisees and we got Sadducees. We got some that believe he's coming through the supernatural and the gifts of the spirit and all that stuff. And we got folks on the other side that believe it's coming through mechanics and it's coming through the ability to mark and it's coming through human ingenuity. And we're divided back and forth and we're just like the Jews and we're one God people and we think that God owes us something. But let's keep talking about it. Messiah's coming. Revival's coming. Revival's coming. Oh, this end time revival. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. But is it possible because a lot of our churches are not the place of prayer that they ought to be? Is it possible for him to walk right through our midst? And I'm going to ask you a question. What hope does your city have if you can't even discern the visitation? Is this too heavy? Now just wait, because I'm going to share something with you in just a second. I'm not, I'm not good at prophecy, eschatology. I know enough to be dangerous. I know enough to be dangerous. But I will tell you that there is a fullness of the Gentiles. And once that fullness has come in, I believe that God is going to bring a great revival to Israel. That's me. I think I can prove that to you through Romans chapter 11. I won't share a mystery is what Paul said with you. He said that Israel is blinded in part. Is this too heavy? Israel's blinded in part until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. But there shall come out of Zion a deliverer, and all Israel shall be saved. Paul said, this is a mystery. Now, I don't know what measure God uses to determine the fullness of the Gentiles. But I can tell you that in 2000, the year 2000, in Manila, preaching at Brother Martinez's church and Brother Ampat's church, that a spirit of prophecy come on me. Now, I know what it's like for it to come on me. I don't claim to be a prophet, but I know what it's like for the spirit of prophecy to come on me. And I knew when it moved on me, it was in a dimension way beyond anything I'd ever experienced. And the prophecy was, what I will start this year in this country, the Philippines, will be the beginning of the last Gentile harvest. 
I will one more time thrust my sickle into the Gentile nations and bring out a people for my namesake. That was in 2000. When I got through prophesying, I promise you, you can ask Brother Martinez and you can ask Brother Mallory and all of them. It sounded like a freight train roared through that building. When I opened my eyes, there's only two people standing. Now, you've preached in that church. And I'm telling you, you better be careful, you're Filipino, aren't you? There's no air conditioning in the building. You'd have to go to hell to cool off. You can't even get a breeze because wherever there's a window or something, there's a Filipino stuck in it. It's hot in there. And when I opened my eyes and looked, there was not one person left standing except me and Brother Mallory. Everybody was on the floor. Spirit of God had moved through there and swept everything to the floor. Don't you listen? When I got on the plane to come home, for days this would not lift off of me. My people, if they're not careful, they're going to miss the time of their visitation. And God began to deal with me. I kind of put it on the back burner until just a few weeks ago. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost said, it's not through. You need to talk about it. You need to warn the Gentile nations. Are you listening to me? You need to warn the Gentile nations that they have a visitation. Their cities have a visitation. Their communities have a visitation. The key to all of this is are we prepared for that visitation? Now, what some of you don't know is, well, you're talking about nations and cities. I believe every human being on these pews and every human being out of here in the Gentile nations has a visitation. I preached about it last night. I believe there's not a human being alive that's going to stand before God and say, well, you know, I didn't, you know, it's just. No, absolutely not. He's going to touch every heart on this earth. Now, don't you listen? They missed the time of their visitation because they missed the time of their visitation. He couldn't send peace. He had to send the sword. Now, I'm asking us. I want you to think about this. If God's going to visit my family, God's going to visit my home, God's going to visit my church, I would rather for him to bring peace than a sword. I would rather to be spiritually prepared for the visitation of God and welcome the visitation of God than for me to be blinded to it by my unbelief and miss this thing and have to suffer the consequences of it. Praise God. I don't understand what you're saying. I'm going to make it real plain. God is going to visit Australia. And he's going to bring revelation and he's going to bring a deep conviction and he's going to move through the communities and the hearts of Australia. Are you listening to me? And the whole key to it is, first of all, is the church going to be a house of prayer? That's what we need to decide. Is the house of God going to be a house of prayer or is it going to be a place of merchandise? God is going to visit Sydney. You're going to have to help me with some of this. I said, God is going to visit Sydney. He's going to visit Melbourne. He's going. 
You name the city in Australia, and I'm promising you tonight, before you... Let me, let, let me help you with something. Let me help you with something. Go read the book of Ezekiel because the Bible says that wherever God, you know, the wheel in the middle of the wheel and all the stuff and all, all that was is a portable transport system for God's glory to be transported. That's all it was. The glory of God was going to leave the temple. It's going to leave Jerusalem. It's going to leave Israel. And Ezekiel sent all the stuff and all. And all it was, the wheel in the middle of the wheel, was a wheel like this and one like this. That way it never turned. It could go any direction without turning. And all these beings and stuff, anywhere God's glory is, trust me, the angelic, the cherubims are there. And they're doing their part. And the Bible says that wherever the Spirit of the Lord was to go, wherever God said his face to go, man, I feel help coming here right now. Wherever he said his face to go, that before he ever got there, coming out of that whirlwind and coming out of that fire were angels moving faster than the speed of light. And their responsibility was to go before him. And so when God sets his face to come to Sydney or God sets his face to come to whatever city, the fact is before he ever arrives in that visitation, the angelic presence of God gets their way ahead of him because a part of their responsibility is to prepare for the way of the Lord. Somebody needs to resurrect the ministry of John the Baptist in the end time and preach a little repentance. We need to repent and prepare for the visitation of the Holy Ghost. Now I want to ask you a question. If God's headed there, I'd hate to think that the angels were there and he arrived. And where were we? Merchandise. Merchandise. Some of you can't focus on the things of God because you're too busy making money. Is that clear enough for you? It's all about merchandise. It's all about your dollar. It's all about how much you make. It's all about how much you can get. Jesus warned you about this hour. He warned us about this hour. He said, don't let your hearts be charged with surfeiting with the cares of life. Surfeiting is a drunken seizure. He said, let me tell you something. You can start getting so intoxicated on life that you get so drunk, you can't even know when he's going to visit. Are you listening to me? Yes. Sir, I'm going to tell you something. He's coming to your family. What are you doing to prepare for it? He's going to walk into your living room, and he's going to walk into your home, and he's going to walk through the chambers of your heart. I'm asking you tonight, what are you doing to prepare for it? He's going to visit your family and try to save some of them. What are you doing to prepare for it? He's going to visit this church. What are you doing to prepare for it? He's going to visit Australia. What are you doing to prepare for it?
I think you're crazy. Well, let's see. Let's see. Our little technician back there, I need you to put 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 12. You ready for it? Y'all still here? I'm about through. Do me a favor. Why don't you go back up to about verse number 6. I want to show them something up through right there. Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone. Well, there it is again, stone. Elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Seven, unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stones which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Eight, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Ten, no, I'm sorry, nine. What does that say? You got that? Let's go to 10. You were time past for not a people, now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. 11, dear beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. 12, having your, con having your conversation or your conduct honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, be your, they may by your good works, what does it say? Which they shall behold. You know what Peter just said? If you read up through there, he calls you lively stones. He's talking about when stones are not doing what they're supposed to do. It's in there. And the problem is, if the lively stones are not doing what they're supposed to, he's pointing the Gentiles to look back to the temple and remember the words of Jesus. I'm not going to leave one stone upon another. And he's telling these Gentiles, you need to be careful because it's by your conduct and by your actions that when God gets ready to visit the Gentiles and God gets ready to visit them with the gospel, you need to make sure that your life, your life does not contradict the preaching and the gospel. Don't confuse them. Don't confuse them. I want you to listen to me. If we know he's coming to visit our cities and our communities and our families, we need to be very careful that our life does not contradict what he's about to do. I live however I want to live. No, not here you don't. No, you don't, you don't see you don't belong to yourself anymore. You got purchased by his blood. Amen. You're not your own. Now don't you listen. He's coming. He's coming. So I called, had him pray, and this prayer warrior didn't know one thing about the service. Don't know it. She still don't this. He still ain't told her. Rashidi Collins, pastors in Tampa area, and they were in a prayer meeting.
and a lady walked up to him and said, I don't understand this. I really don't understand what this means, Pastor. But I just had a vision. He said, what's the vision? I seen Jesus walking through Australia. And I don't have any idea what that means. He said, I do. I know exactly what it means. I'll text Brother Morgan and tell him. The lady had no idea that I was here. She has no idea about this conference. I knew what I was going to preach tonight for several days. I'm talking to you about a visitation. Now, to me, and it ought to be to you, it's a confirmation. I said it's a confirmation. Now, I know, I know, I know what we're struggling with. I'm, I'm going to deal with it in closing. I know it's a confirmation. Now, I'm telling you, if somebody would have told me that God was walking through my nation, Does that not stir you? Or oh, some of you got a weird way of showing it. That don't stir you. That don't make you excited. Unless you're not prepared for it. Unless you think it's just another ploy of some preachers. Let me tell you what the Holy Ghost dealt with me about for service. He said, it's not that they won't preach it and all this stuff and all, but they're kind of like Peter on that boat. Huh. You ever read the parable? Is everybody still good? Have I preached too long, Sister Morgan? Am I okay? Still okay? Do I need to start tapering? Okay, all right. She said, I got to taper it off, so trust me. If mom ain't happy, then ain't nobody happy. Just five minutes. Okay, she said, preach. Give me that expression. <laughs> you ready? Jesus gives a parable to unjust judge, right? Y'all yeah. know that parable? He gets off that parable and he starts into this. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? We've always preached that about the rapture. It ain't got nothing to do with the rapture. The Son of Man's not coming to rapture you. Son of Man deals with his humanity. <laughs> listen, listen. He's telling you when I finally decide to visit you to answer your prayer, because he just gave you the parable, will you have faith enough to receive your miracle? After you have prayed about it and 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 prayed about it. And now you don't think he's going to visit. What Jesus is asking is, is when I decide to visit, I don't know if you understand, but in the States we have something called, you got welcome mats? Put them out on your front porch, says welcome, it's a welcome mat. What he's saying is, I want to know if you're going to put faith out at your front door when I decide to visit you and allow me to come on in. So when I decide to bring the miracle into your life, do you have faith enough to receive it? Or, listen, 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 listen. I'm going to help you. This is where we're at. This is where we're at. 
Or are you going to be like Acts chapter 12 when Peter comes out of the prison? Because you've got in your memory James that God didn't deliver. Oh, man, we prayed about James and God didn't deliver him. And, you know, this is just the way it is. God didn't deliver James. But now we're down here having a prayer meeting and we're praying for old Simon Peter. And Simon Peter's out there knocking on the door. And Rhoda gets up from praying, and she walks to the door, says hello, and looks at the little security people, and she says, man, that looks like Simon Peter. Who is that? It's me, Simon. Can I come in? Hang on, I'll be right back. She goes back inside where they're having a prayer meeting and says, hey, folks, Simon Peter's out there at the door. They said, Rhoda, my God, Rhoda, you've lost your ever-loving mind. Get in the floor and pray. We're praying for Peter to get out of prison. I'm telling you, Peter's standing out there at the front door. Rhoda, you've lost your mind. You're starting to believe. You're starting to believe. You actually think he's going to come here? She said, I'll be right back. She goes back at the door and says, is it really you? Yeah, it's me. It's kind of chilly out here. Can you let me in? She says, I'll be right back. She goes back in there and tells them. They said, oh, no. It's his ghost. Herod has already killed him. Didn't even wait till Easter. He's already killed him. Oh, my. Simon Peter's dead. The Jews believe for four days somebody's spirit wanders. So his angel showed up at the door, knocking at the door, his ghost, trying to get in. And finally, Rhoda kept on and kept on. I'm telling you, he's at the door. Now, would you listen to me? I'm telling you, something is coming to visit. Listen to me. No, 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 no. Listen to me. But all some of you can remember is past prayer meetings when it didn't happen. You're kind of like old Peter when Jesus got on the boat and said, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Right? Let down your nets. Plural. Many nets. Y'all with me still? And you know what he said? You gotta be kidding. You're a carpenter and I'm a fisherman. And you're on my boat. Listen, you don't get on a fisherman's boat and tell him how to fish. You got to be kidding me. Absolutely not. I fished all night, didn't catch one thing. We've washed the nets, put them up to dry, and you want me to take them back down and go out there when I'm not going to catch anything because it's the wrong time of the day to catch fish? And then I'm going to get back in, have to clean them up again, hang them up and let them dry to go back out later on tonight. I'm going to be very tired. But I tell you what I'll do. I'll pacify you. So instead of getting all the nets, I'll just get one. And Simon Peter only gets one net. One net. And he goes out and he throws it out and he starts pulling on it. And let me tell you what went through his mind. You're stupid. You are so stupid. Why didn't you listen? 
because he could tell the moment he started pulling on that net. Oh, my Lord. I believe if he'd have done what Jesus said, he would, he, no, no, listen, he wouldn't have to have gone back later on to catch a fish to pay his taxes because he could have retired that day a wealthy fisherman. But he didn't believe because he was haunted by empty nets. He had toiled all night like a lot of you and didn't catch anything. And the revival didn't happen. And the miracle didn't happen. I'm trying my best to help some of you right now. And you didn't get it. And it didn't happen. And so now you got this fat preacher from America telling you, you need to get ready. Something's about to happen. And you're sitting there thinking about all the empty nets you got. But let me help you with something. You didn't know the time of your visitation. And everything about God is about timing. And when he gets on your boat, he said it's a good time. And I'm telling you, if he's walking through this nation, somebody ought to be preparing and rolling out the welcome mat. Somebody ought to be preparing for a visitation. I don't care how many prayer meetings you had that it didn't happen. This is it. I said, this is it. I said, this is it. I'm waiting on some of you to declare it right now. This is it. I believe this is it. This is the time of my visitation. It's coming to my house. It's coming to my family. It's coming to... I said, it's coming here. It's coming into the service right now. It's coming down your pew right now. What are you doing to welcome it? Just, just, just listen. <laughs> Don't fool yourself. He's coming back after those who love his glorious appearing. Let me ask you a question. What is the difference in him appearing in the rapture and him appearing in this service tonight? And if you can't get excited about him appearing tonight, I doubt very seriously you're ready for that appearing. If a preacher just told me he's coming down my aisle and he's about to appear, I think I'd be getting ready for it. Hey, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's not just coming to Australia. He's coming to Fiji. And he's coming to this area of the world. He's coming, folks. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Somebody, somebody needs to get out in the streets of your city and start saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. He's coming to his temple. He's coming to my city. He's coming to my home. He's coming. I wish somebody sound off right now like he just walked up to you and he's ready to do a miracle. What would you be doing right now? That's all you'd be doing if you knew he was at your door right now? 
Somebody ought to go open the door like Rhoda and say, I've been praying for this. Come on in. Hey, I want to praise God with you a little while. Touch her right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, this remains to, here's how we're going to close. Are y'all ready? Oh, my God. Are you ready? Yes! I don't say, oh, I want to wait here what you're going to say. Let's do this. In just a few seconds, I'm going to ask you to do this. I want you to start praising God like the miracle just happened. I want you to praise God like you see him walking through the midst of your city. I want you to praise God like you see him walking into the bedroom of that family member and those loved ones. I want you to see him. Come on. I want you to see him. Listen, the miracle that you've been praying for and the healing and the deliverance, I want you to see it knocking at your door right now getting ready to come in, how would you praise him? Come on, don't wait till the battle's over. Shout now. How would you praise him? If you knew that God had just baptized you with the Holy Ghost, how would you praise him? If you knew that your healing had just happened, how would you praise him? I think somebody would rejoice. Come on, don't stop. How would you praise him? If you knew that backslidden child had just prayed through, how would you praise him? If you just heard the doctor's report, the disease is gone, how would you praise him? If you'll rejoice, a miracle will happen right now. Come on, somebody begin to dance before the Lord. Somebody begin to rejoice. Somebody begin to magnify Him. <laughs>